Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, hey there, Bible Center family. It's good to see you here this morning. Thank you for joining us in person. For those of you who are joining us on TV or online, it's great to have you with us as well. If we haven't yet had the chance to meet, I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Bible Center. I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be down front and be an honor to pray with you or answer any questions that you have. Thank you so much uh, for being with us today. I'm thankful also for Mrs. Schaefer, uh, Stephanie Schaefer, and for what she has brought to uh, Bible Center School. Uh, I tell people all the time, she's one of the best things uh, that has happened to our staff in my six years of being here. Uh, God has used her greatly in the school, and I love the momentum that's building around Bible Center School in the city. As I'm downtown talking with different men and women, I'm just loving the reputation uh, that our school is getting. Uh, and the lives of the students and the lives of the family. It's meant a lot to our family over the years. All three of our children have attended Bible Center. Our two oldest daughters were uh, well prepared for their next step when they left Bible Center school, and our son is currently a student. Uh, And I thank the Lord to have uh, the teachers as a part of our church, so many who are, and to see what's the impact that's taking place even in his little life uh, day in and day out. Now, I do have to share something. A few, a uh, couple months ago or so, he, on the way to school, said, Dad, I think I figured out that I can never get in trouble at school. I was like, well, Caden, why can you never get in trouble at school? He's like, well, Dad, I figured it out. Uh, since you're the boss, I can't get in trouble. I said, very quickly, I said, buddy, just so you know, no matter what happens, uh, I'm always going to be on their side, always going to be on the teacher's side, on Mrs. Schaefer's side. He didn't like that very much. Like kind of felt betrayed, uh, but Sarah and I love to remind him of the, of the blessing he has every day uh, to go to the school he's in. Thank you for being here, especially if you're our guest today. If you would take your Bible, your Bible app, and open with me to the book of James, James chapter 2, James chapter 2 and verse 14, we're going to continue going verse by verse through this little book of James, asking the Lord to transform us, wholly transform us into the image of Christ. And I love James because James is Jesus's half-brother, so so much of what we learn from uh, James comes right directly to us from Jesus himself. Today's message is very simple. If you like to follow along, you can follow along on the app. You can also follow along on the notes on our website. But uh, today's message is very simple. So just to make a mental note of the outline, I'm going to introduce you to three characters, and then I'm going to give you one thing to know and one thing to do. One thing to know and one thing to do. So let me go ahead and start by introducing you to the three characters before we look at our text. The first one is Legalistic Larry. Legalistic Larry. Now, I realized after I got dressed this morning that I think I looked a lot like Legalistic Larry today. That was not intentional. I should have picked a different color coat. But here's here's Larry's outlook. I can earn my salvation and make Jesus, make God like me more by doing good works. I can earn my salvation and make God like me more by doing good works. If we were to describe his core belief into a math equation for you mathematicians and engineers, it would look like this. Faith plus good works equals salvation. Faith plus good works equals salvation. 
Larry's favorite verses are the Ten Commandments. He loves to quote them, particularly the commands that he finds easy to obey. Now, the commands that he finds a little harder to obey, he typically doesn't quote quite so loudly, but the Ten Commandments are his favorite commandments to obey. But here's the prognosis. Here's the spiritual prognosis for Larry. He's building his life on sinking sand, and he's not on his way to heaven. He's building his life on sinking sand, and unfortunately, until something changes, he is not on his way to heaven. Paul spoke about this. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul spoke often about the legalistic Larrys in his world. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 says, A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. James spoke on this same issue, James 2.10. Even though James just briefly touched on it, it's worth mentioning that he did have legalistic Larry in his mind or something like it, James 2.10. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. In other words, the Ten Commandments are not a, uh, they're not graded on the curve, right? It's not a 90% pass, 70% pass. It's pass-fail. So even if you have kept all the commandments but one, God says it's as though you've broken all of them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took it up to the next level, and he even went so far as to say, even if you've kept all Ten Commandments in person, but you've broken one of them in your heart, you've broken all of them. We see this in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, again in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, think of this, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Legalistic Larry, unfortunately, is building his life on sinking sand. And unless something changes, he is not on his way to heaven. Here's a second character. This is Levi, Levi, Lucy, Levi. Here's the outlook of Lucy, Levi. As long as I've had a religious experience, I can live however I want. As long as I have a little bit of Jesus, I can live however I want. If we were to put his core belief into a math equation, it would look like this. Faith equals salvation minus good works. Faith equals salvation minus good works. In other words, as long as I have some faith, it doesn't matter if it hasn't changed me. It doesn't matter if I ever do any good works. All of that doesn't matter. Now, Levi loves to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tell us, and Emma did such a good job reading them for us, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that anyone can boast. And so he leaves out verse 10, which I'm thankful Emma read a few moments ago. We'll look at verse 10 in a minute. But he purposely leaves it out because for him, it's 
just about having a religious experience. Here's the prognosis for Levi. He's building his life on sinking sand, and he also is not on his way to heaven. He also is not on his way to heaven unless something changes. Now, these aren't my words. These are Jesus's words. So let's just let Jesus speak to this scenario. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20, right out of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. If you came to Christ but are surprised that it seems like most of the world doesn't want to follow Jesus, Jesus says, don't be surprised. You're on the narrow road. That's on purpose. Watch out for false prophets. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Likewise, every tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You say, Pastor Matt, why would you say things like that? Again, those are the words of Jesus. We call ourselves Christian. So Jesus's words carry great weight with us. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, Paul says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, what it, what, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Apostle Paul made it very clear that to become a Christian means that you turn to Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord. And the last couple hundred years in American Christianity, there's been this odd teaching. And we could talk all day about the roots of this odd teaching. I ultimately believe it's to accommodate unbelievers in the church. But this teaching that says you can come to Jesus as Savior, but it might be years before you come to him as Lord. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that, and nowhere in church history has that ever been believed until modern America. According to Paul, you come to Jesus as the Lord of your life when you come to him for salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Now, James his book, James's epistle, is primarily written to Christians. But in the few verses that we're looking at this morning, he is speaking more to the, the Lucy Levi's who may be in the congregation. We know that most of the book is written to believers, but he takes this little parentheses and he's like, hey, if you're, by the way, in the congregation and you had a little bit of Jesus, but you don't really want to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life, you need to question whether or not you genuinely are a Christian. And that's the few verses we're going to look at in a moment. Let me introduce you to the third character, loving Liam. Loving Liam. Here's his outlook. I love this. Since I turned and trusted Jesus, I've not been perfect. However, I am convicted when I do wrong, 
I continually repent of my sin, and I have a strong desire to love and do good to others, just as Jesus has loved and been good to me. Don't you like that? It's just real. It doesn't say he's perfect, but he says, I I want to follow Jesus with my life. If you were to put his core belief into a math equation, it would look like this. Salvation, excuse me, faith equals salvation plus good works. Faith equals salvation plus good works. He doesn't say that faith plus good works equals salvation, for that would be what Larry falsely believed. He's saying that if I've truly put my faith in Jesus, if I've truly experienced salvation, good works are inevitable. They are going to come out of my life uh, as I'm slowly transformed into the image of Christ. His favorite Bible verses are listed in your notes You can look them up in greater detail this week. You can find all that again on the app. But let's look at just a few of the verses. Ephesians 2.10, the verse that Emma included a moment ago when she read, says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2, Paul says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Galatians 5, 6, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Titus 2, 13 and 14, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Here's the prognosis for Liam. Liam is building his life on a solid rock building his life on a solid foundation, and he will make it to heaven. He is on his way to heaven. You say, where do you get that illustration? Matthew chapter 7, the very end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he tells the story of the, the foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and then he tells the story of the wise man who builds his house on the rock. That's Jesus' whole point. That's James's whole point. And so he's telling his readers, he's telling his congregation, make sure that you're the person trying to build their house on the rock. Your faith is in Christ, and that faith is producing good works. Let's not be the other guy who simply thinks we have a little Jesus, but he's not our Lord. We can go out and live however we want to. Jesus said that's not going to fly in the judgment. Loving Liam is building his life on a solid rock, a firm foundation, and he will make it to heaven. So here's what I want you to know. I said, there's one thing I want you to know and one thing I'd like you to do. Here's what I want you to know. Good works are not the means of salvation, yet they are the marks of salvation. Good works are not the means of salvation, yet they are the marks of salvation. True saving faith leads to doing good works. True salvation doesn't result from good works. However, it does result in good works. The faith in our hearts is evidenced by the fruit in our lives. John Calvin wrote this, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. 
good works are not the means of salvation, yet they are the marks of salvation. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully you're tracking with me there. Let's look at James chapter 2 and see what James teaches. He's teaching this main point. James 2 in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? The answer, of course, James is looking for here is no. So he's doing a couple, couple things. He's teaching his congregation, genuine believers, about what true faith looks like. He's describing their true faith, giving them assurance. But this also would have resonated with the people in his congregation who weren't true Jesus followers. And so James is describing someone who claims they have faith, because it even says here, doesn't say they have genuine faith. It says they claimed to have faith, but it is dead. It is useless. It is without effect. It is a false faith. Verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Now here James gives an illustration, a practical illustration. He says, pretend you're here in the church gathering, the worship gathering, and someone comes in and they're starving. They're starving. And you notice when they come in, they don't have clothes, especially on a cold day like today. James says one of the evidences of genuine believers is that we want to do everything in our power to help those who are in need of help, whether they be Christian or not. It's one of the evidences of saving faith. And so James says, if you have no desire, if you just live for yourself, no desire to serve others. Just search your heart and ask yourself, am I really a Jesus follower? Now, I do need to just mention for a moment here because of our context that the Bible teaches wise charity, wise charity. Uh, something I learned from Rex Whiteman, the former CEO of, of a Union Mission, is wise charity. Uh, Rex would stop, as he retired about five or so years ago, uh, he would stop when he started to see people standing outside the shopping centers with signs uh, for food, and he would stop, and he, if he had time, he'd get out, shake their hand, introduce himself, treated them with dignity, right, as a human, and he would just take a minute, and he would say, hey, won't you come with me? Let's go down to Union Mission. I'll get you not only a free meal, you can have a whole lot of free meals. I, I'll get you some help to find a job. Won't you come with me? And so I like that. That's wise charity. It's not the point of this, today's message, uh, but James certainly wouldn't be opposed to that kind of wisdom. But James does say, however we do it, it's our desire as Christians to love others. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action. If it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. Now, in context, he's referring to the faith of verse 14. We say here at Bible Center that context is king. And so he's not saying in verse 17 that any kind of faith alone doesn't save. No, it's context. In context, he's referring to that kind of faith, the false kind of faith from verse 14. He's like, that false kind of faith doesn't save. It is dead. Verse 18, 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James is quoting a hypothetical objector here. He's quoting someone, and he's really teaching in the way that it was common in the Greco-Roman world. They loved debate, which I still think is a, is a great way to discuss issues. I was thinking this week how neat it would be for us to do some core classes here at Bible Center where we take some sensitive issues and we actually have people from different sides of those issues, not core theological issues, but more of the peripheral, peripheral areas, and just debate them. I think that's a healthy way to learn. And so James is doing that here. And so he is talking about a hypothetical objector. He's saying, suppose someone says this. I don't know, maybe James was a little passive aggressive. I don't know, right? But I can just kind of picture James like having some guy named Bill in his mind in the congregation. You know, like maybe Bill has asked this question 30 times, right? James, Pastor James, you know, I believe that faith and works are separate, and, but James, as he's writing here, doesn't call out Bill's name. He just says, you know, suppose somebody says this. That's the kind of stuff that goes through a pastor's mind. Sorry. James doubles down. And he says, no, these are not separable. Good works are not separate from salvation. Good works are not the means of salvation, yet they are the marks of salvation. Let's get this. True salvation leads to good works. James 2.19 says this. If you believe that there are, there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So according to James, the demons knew God existed. Demons were created by God. Most likely, demons were a part of the angelic hosts, the good angels, a third of which that fell with Satan in rebellion. So if we were to interview the demons even today, they know God exists. As a matter of fact, they have an emotional response to God. They shudder. But what James is saying here, that intellectual intellectual knowledge and emotional response is not enough to get one into the kingdom of God. That's not saving faith. Just knowing God exists is not salvation. Verse 20, you foolish person, Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James is being very blunt here. And he's really doing what Jesus did in Matthew 7. Remember the illustration about the building on the sand or building on the rock? Jesus called the dude who built on the sand foolish. And that's most likely why James is using this word here. He's saying, don't be this foolish person. Verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, God, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. James is the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. So most of in his congregation were Jewish in background. And so James was throughout his book, we're going to see that he commonly uses these Jewish illustrations because it spoke to the people. They understood what he was talking about. 
it would be similar to us here in West Virginia using a lot of illustrations about West Virginia for those of us that are from here or lived here for any length of time. So James knows how to use illustrations that really resonate with his congregation. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've no doubt heard the story, the true story of Abraham and how Abraham became a follower of God thousands of years ago. It is a beautiful, beautiful true story, how he became even the father of our own faith. If you're taking notes, we're not going to turn there, but I'm going to invite you to look at two different chapters this week in the Old Testament, both from Genesis, Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 22. It's very, very simple if we can understand Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. James here refers to both. He is saying that in Genesis 15, verse 6, we see Abraham's salvation. It clearly says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5 are all about that event in Genesis 15. In other words, Abraham didn't do good works to earn his way to heaven. Abraham didn't just believe in God and nothing changed. No, like loving Liam, Abraham put his faith in Jesus and that faith transformed his life. So Abraham became a follower of God in Genesis 15. But in Genesis 22, something amazing happened. Abraham obeyed God and did something that was very, very hard. We're not going to explain it all this morning, but God called Abraham to at least take his son on top of the mountain, and Abraham thought he was going to have to sacrifice his son. There's a whole lot of discussion about that, about whether or not Abraham really actually thought God was going to do that because he told the people, my son and I are going to come back down off the mountain, but that's for another sermon. Nevertheless, he obeyed God. He went to the top of that mountain with his son, like God said. So what James is saying here is that in Genesis 22, Abraham's faith was evidenced for all of us. In Genesis 15, Abraham put his faith in God and was justified in the eyes of God. But in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham's faith was justified in the eyes of everybody else. That's why in context, James keep use, keeps using these words like evidence, consider, show. He is saying that if you are a genuine believer like Abraham, you will have evidence in your life of obedience like Abraham. Verse 24, he repeats himself. Like any good teacher, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone, considered righteous like Abraham was in Genesis 22, in our eyes, in your own eyes. How do you know? How do you have assurance of salvation? Yes, you look and see if you have your faith in Christ, but you also look and say, has my life changed at all, at all? In verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? You can read all about this in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 6, a beautiful story of a Gentile prostitute who put her faith in God, and God changed her life. 
She had a heart for purity, a heart for righteousness. There's no sin too great that the blood of Christ can't forgive. Rahab not only became the great-great-grandmother of King David, but Rahab also became the great-great-great-many-greats-grandmother of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. It's a really neat story. But notice verse 26, the very last verse of this text. It's almost as if James looks back and summarizes everything he's already taught. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Good works are not the means of salvation, yet they are the marks of salvation. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. That was what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to do. Ask yourself this question. If I were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? If I were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? This is what Paul says for us to do in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul goes on to tell us, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Prove your own selves. When Paul got to the end of his two letters to the, the Corinthian church, he's like, you need to make sure for yourself, not the person sitting next to you, not even your children, but for you. Make sure that you are a Jesus follower. What is the test to determine whether or not you're a Jesus follower. It's the same test that Abraham endured. It's the same one James mentioned. Is my faith in Jesus? And has that faith been evidenced by loving God and loving others? That's the test of salvation. Ask yourself, if I were accused of being a Christian, is there enough, would there be enough evidence to convict me? You know, unfortunately... You could be in church, come to worship, and still not be a genuine Jesus follower. Judas Iscariot walked with Jesus for three years and wasn't a true Jesus follower. You could join a group and not be a Jesus follower. You can give to the church or to charity and not be a Jesus follower. You see, sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. It's what God does in the heart that then is evidenced in the life. Ask yourself, if I were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? This week on my Facebook post and Instagram, I posted about John Wesley. John Wesley was the great founder of the Methodist faith, Methodist denomination. And John Wesley was a minister. He was a missionary for years before he actually became a Christian. John Wesley came to the United States before it was, I guess, the United States, the colony of Georgia, as a missionary. And he knew in his heart he wasn't truly a believer. He was all trying to make God love him more. He tried to get up early every day and pray and read his Bible and serve the sick and help the poor and visit people in prisons. John Wesley did all these things, but he never had assurance of his own salvation. As a matter of fact, on the boat ride from England to the United States, there were a group of genuine Jesus followers, very humble Jesus followers, And one day a storm came up and they weren't sure if they were going to make it uh, any farther in the ship. And he was freaking out because he didn't know if he died where he'd go. 
And he saw this group of Jesus followers and they were singing praise to God. He's like, how in the world can y'all sing at a time like this? And they said, well, if we die, we know where we're going. Man, that messed with him, but he still wasn't a believer. According to his biography, he comes back to London after a failed missionary journey. And he stumbles into a church. And the minister that night wasn't even preaching like a great sermon. He was reading somebody else's sermon because he didn't have time to prepare one for himself. The minister was reading a sermon by Martin Luther. And as the minister read the sermon, Wesley writes in his journal that at 15 minutes till nine, my heart was strangely warmed and I believed the gospel. What is the gospel? It's not that you save yourself. It's that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again the third day. And that Jesus says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you, when I give our lives to Christ and want to follow him as true Jesus followers, we're not perfect on this side of heaven, but the change process starts. That's the beauty of the gospel. We say that the gospel is not only Jesus saves, but also Jesus transforms. We're on the journey. So John Wesley, from that moment on, lived a life that truly pointed back to the gospel and his gospel message and good works rocked a continent for Christ. I think about my best friend in high school, uh, best friend in junior high and high school, Ryan. He came to our church in like the third or fourth grade. My mom had invited his family to our church. They came to our church. His mom and dad trusted Jesus. But as is often the case, children want to mimic what their parents do. And so uh, Ryan and his sister, Erin, who is uh, the wife of the current CEO of Union Mission, uh, Jason Quintrell, uh, Ryan and Aaron did what their mom and dad did. They said, okay, I want to be a Christian too. But later in high school, Ryan and I were at a camp and we had heard the gospel preached so clearly. And we were walking back to our cabin and i never forget this as a core memory. Ryan looks at me and he goes, Matt, I'm not a Christian. And like, I thought we were just on our way to play basketball. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, I'm not a Christian. Because I've just been doing what mom and dad did, but I want to be a Jesus follower right now. And right there in that dirt road, we knelt, and Ryan, in his own words, told Jesus, I want to be a follower of you. I believe you can change my life. Ryan became a Christian and is still serving the Lord today. I don't know. This is really transparent. I don't know the exact date that is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life was when my salvation was settled, humanly speaking. I don't know. When I was about four or five, I prayed a prayer, and I think I meant it, you know? I don't know. But later on, when I was about 22, early in ministry, I'll never forget, I've shared the story several times. I, I remember just looking at my life, looking at my childhood, looking at high school, college, and thinking that I just wanted to do good stuff. I wanted people to think well of me. And for the first time, I can remember I at 22, I wanted to be a follower of Jesus. What's that even mean? I want to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're like that today, like John Wesley, like my friend Ryan, like me. You're like, look, I know, I know. I, this has not been the real deal. And Matt, I want the real deal. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 25, and we'll be done. I didn't write these words. Jesus did. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Think of this. Or thirsty, Jesus, when did we give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in and eating clothes and clothe you? The king will reply, verse 40, I tell you that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, I don't want anybody in here today to be on the left. I don't want you to be on this left side of Jesus at the judgment. He's going to say this, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. And then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? He will reply, think of this. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Ask yourself, if I were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? You say, Matt, why should I ask myself this question? It goes back to our big idea. Our big idea is simply this. Good works are not the means of salvation but they are the marks of salvation. I want that for you. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.